Welcome to Breakthrough Radio, a global business radio show where smarter strategies deliver breakthrough results by adding an entrepreneurial touch driving today's profits. Now, get ready for three powerful breakthrough segments with Michelle Price. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you're tuning into Breakthrough Radio from. This is Michelle Price here, where we're coming to you from the third coast of Houston, Texas today. And on Breakthrough Radio, we are celebrating nine years of talking about how to master the internal and external strategies for business. Well, a quick heads up, we're exploring how we can recreate Breakthrough Radio to serve you better. You're going to hear us testing things this summer and asking you a lot of questions in order for us to find that flow for the future. And, you know, we enjoy thinking about what you will need and how we can play a role for that. So are you doing that with your business yet? Well, it's the fourth Monday of the month, and that's when we get to hear from Finka Jakovic, our fascinating coach that teaches us the power of human behavior in business. You know, she's going to teach us a breakthrough tip, and it is where, at the top of the show, you get to hear information and take action on it right now. Now, our featured spot today is with Mary Alania, the author of What Motivates what motivates getting things done? Oh, boy, this is going to be a good conversation. Our featured interview is a 60-minute conversation. It's a nice deep dive into the topic of the day to allow you to gain a much better understanding, level of knowledge, and, of course, application for your business. And then wrapping up Breakthrough Radio today, we have a Breakthrough Bite with Andrea Walsh, the go-for-no expert. Our Breakthrough Bite the 20-minute segment. So it's not as long as our deep dive interview. It's not as short as our breakthrough tip. That's because we like to meet all the learning styles of you, our listener. So I want to thank you for coming to listen to Breakthrough Radio. And if it is your first visit today, please make sure you thank the person who told you about us. Here's the scoop. You're going to want to listen without distraction, and that's why you only need to write down one URL today. It's www.thebreakthroughradio.com. You know, every week you have access to a blog post that gives you the frame for the conversation for each episode. That means that any and everything that we talk about today is something we may reference as a resource. We link to it there. So whether it's how to reach Finka, Mary, Andrea, or myself, make sure you do connect with each one of us. And do more than follow. Don't just click a button. Ask us a question on Twitter. Engage us in conversation over on LinkedIn. And, of course, when it makes sense for your business, hire us. Well, it's time for us to learn with Finka about the power of leveraging our emotions, so please join me as we welcome Finka back to Breakthrough Radio. And out of curiosity, Finka, are you still up in Canada right now, or are you traveling all over the world like Stuart does? <laughs> no, I, I last week I was in Minnesota, Montreal, but I find myself today in on home base, home turf, in, um, in Ontario, uh, in Canada, and it's... Uh, I don't know about you, but I, actually I, I didn't hear some posts about rainy weather where you're at, and it has just been a wet summer so far, and apparently heat waves coming. So I'm hoping, hoping July is going to be a turning month for us here. Well, it's definitely interesting. You know, I saw 
some pretty scary heat indexes that were happening over in Iran. And I was thinking to myself, as I was looking at pictures, uh, people were posting in Arizona where literally, you know, the big plastic recycle bins that we roll out so that they pick up, you know, the glass and the cardboard thing? Yep, yep. They were melting. They oh were melting in Arizona. Oh, we're going to send some rain and some wetness over there. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow, okay, I know. So you help know. us understand. Help us understand. I know we had a great conversation last week with Lisa Barrett about how emotions are made and the secret life of the brain. And it just, I'm finding it very interesting that there's this dichotomy of conversation that's going on between technology, you know, things like AI and AR and VR and MR, you know, Stuart and Robert Scoble and I talk about that. And then we have all these conversations about neuroscience and, and our brains and our emotions. And it's, and it's funny because some people tend to like lean towards one of those more than the other. And I constantly feel like I'm on a balance beam where I have one sit over in this one and one sit over in that one. And I'm trying to figure out how to do cartwheels. Yeah, no, I, I can totally get that. And, you know, part of it is emotions are such a, a human experience. And at the same time, like it's something that we can all, we all feel, we all have experiences of. And at the same time, it's the thing that is so difficult to put into, I'm going to say, categories or, you know, make it logical and linear because sometimes it gets very abstract and and messy. And so I think that there's this balance of these both sides of how do you make sense of it all when sometimes it doesn't make sense. <laughs> and uh, and that's where emotions and, the, and feelings, they really can... Um, uh, we can, we can kind of just say, you know what, that feels too messy, or I don't want to f- know. I don't know a lot about it, so let me just put that away. And and so this kind of uh, you know for today's uh, uh, breakthrough tip, it was really inspired from our conversation that we had last month. But also, I had a conversation with my daughter earlier in May, and we were heading out to Europe, and um, she was talking about, you know, we've traveled numerous times, but she's never really been afraid of flying. And this particular time, she was just really, you know, hesitant to to get on the plane. She didn't want to go. And we started talking about what this fear was like. And it really brought me to just think about, you know, what do we actually do with fear, with emotions, those feelings that we experience as adults and in business? And and I really started thinking about it all starts from when we were kids. And, and how when we were kids, we weren't really taught how to feel or how to process our emotions. And, you know, when those bad feelings came up, like, I don't want to fly or I don't want to get on that plane or I don't want to get on stage to sing my song or some other bad things, unfortunate things that have happened to us as children, we didn't have that capacity and know-how how to deal with them. And so we end up doing what we do best, and it's burying them, ignoring them, pushing them away, whatever it might be. And and those can work in, you know, in I'm going to say in those short-term band-aid. They're like band-aid solutions, but they don't really get to the source of of the pain, and and to how do you, how do you actually feel that? And so, you know, we're wired as beings to to either you know move away from pain, like I'm not going to touch that stove because it feels hot and that feels painful. Or we're wired to move towards something because we're going to get something, a reward or a gain. 
And what I've learned from my own personal experience, plus working with my clients and, and all the research that's out there, is that if we don't learn the capacity to actually feel our bad feelings, those things that we don't want to feel, we also don't um, get, um, we don't reap the benefits or the reward of feeling the good feelings. And so I don't know about you, Michelle, but for me, <laughs> I find myself constantly on this. I'm ambitious. I'm uh, high achieving. I want to do great work. I want to deliver lots of wonderful results. But I can find myself on this hamster wheel of striving and driving. And I keep, you know, hustling and bustling and, 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 and trying to, you know, to move things. And what I've realized and succumbed to, and this is also with people that I work with that are ambitious, high driving, is that it's almost like we've got this bucket we're carrying around with us. And there's this bucket that we, we fill with our goals, our ambitions, our desires, our accomplishments, um, the things that we get, the things that we desire. And you, you get the house, you get the car, you get the job, you get the title, you get that big deal. We fill it all in this bucket. But the thing is, this bucket has a hole in it. And what happens is that the hole is just dripping. All the wonderful things we keep putting in, it is actually coming out on the other end. And what I've learned through my experience is if I, hadn't, if I haven't understood or figured out how to deal with feeling what it feels like to have that hole or that void and figure out how to heal and close up that void, that this constant desire of striving and driving is, is a relentless, and I'm going to say, you know, this constant feeling that you're never going to get enough or have enough because we haven't really addressed the pain or that void that we're feeling that we're trying to fill this bucket up. And so for, for you know, from for my experiences and what I've learned and, and from the people that I've worked with, what I've always learned is that we actually need to have and learn the capacity to feel that pain. And so we need to understand or feel what's it like to feel empty inside or what is that void actually telling us. And, and for some of us, it might feel that, you know, we don't deserve that happiness or we're not worthy of it. And it, it comes to some sort of, I need to feel worthy of something in order to, uh, to I'm going to say, you know, reap the benefits of that. And when we get to that source um, and acknowledge it, it offers now us an opportunity to actually sit and be present with when you finally get what you've been looking for, to actually to be present with it and to um, enjoy it and not move to the next thing. And so when we learn to be with the pain and of whatever pain that we're trying to fill in this with all these accomplishments, we actually then learn how to sit in the accomplishment that we achieve and benefit from that versus striving to the next thing, which is, you know, this, this constant this constant thing that we're we're trying to fill up. And so um, yeah, so, you know, I, I think that the moral of, of what I really want to share with all of you today is, you know, whether it's a good feeling or whether it's a bad feeling, to actually just call it out and learn to, to name it. What is that feeling that you're feeling? And whether it's bad, if it's bad, you know, you know I think um, Jill Bolte-Taylor, she talks about it in her uh, My Stroke of Insight book where even those bad feelings, it's just 90 seconds, just learn to sit with you know, feeling bad for 90 seconds, and it passes. And, and when we do that, we actually start to learn to have the capacity to feel the good stuff so we don't move to the next thing um, and miss out also, you know, you know, when you stop and smell the roses, like just stop and smell the roses for a moment. That, you know, when we learn to have both sides of, 
of the coin, we can actually benefit from having it. So Michelle, I'm going to turn it over to you and, and get your thoughts or if you have any questions uh, on that. Yeah, I need to just unpress mute or press mute. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I'm sitting here and I'm listening to you literally thinking back of some things that I just dealt with in this past month uh, in having a very unexpected move. And there was a lot of emotion attached to that. And what I've noticed is for myself, I'm holding my hand up saying this is my experience, I get it's not everyone else's, when there's an extremely uh, short timeline that's attached to a situation that triggers emotions for me, especially if they're negative emotions, for some reason... I find it easier to to be present, as you said, feel the negative emotions, let them move through me, but instead of them dissipating, I have learned how to feel it and shift it, and then I use that energy to help me accomplish what was thrown in my path that I wasn't expecting. But I've not figured out yet... So now that we're talking about it, I have a feeling I'm going to have opportunities to do so, and I'll recognize them in the moment, is how to sit with the good stuff and actually be fully present with that and allow myself to feel those. And then instead of that thing that we've all heard about where a lot of times people will have a a dive after a high, to use and shift the energy from the high into being able to do the next thing I want to do. So I'm not on this damn roller coaster we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think you know that that uh, I can totally connect with that. The high with the dive, and and then you know, and then going into that valley, and then coming back on the other side. I think. I think we live in a very dynamic environment that we do have those uh, moments of feeling good and feeling bad, um, and they they create that contrast, right? Um, And in saying that, when you have a number of those experiences and, and have that awareness of it, even in the dive, I think when we go low, there's there's a lot of benefit to that. What we do know now is that when the high the high will come like sometimes when we're in that low it's like this is it like life is over it's i'm not coming out of this like it just it's very hard but we now get the like the the knowledge and that aptitude to know that oh this is just part of the process i'm in the dive and I, the high will come again and i'm just building more fuel and momentum in a different way and so then that will then... I totally get that. I like that. I wonder, Finka, though, um, how many people are very honest with themselves that, because I'm going to hold my hand up and say, again, that sometimes that dive, as much as I recognize the patterns um, that happen, especially in entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. for some reason I've watched myself those dives go lower than they need to go in order for me to move forward. Yeah. 
And, yeah. and, and so I think being very intellectually honest with ourselves of how we feed the energy <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and what it does to us that could be causing unnecessary hurdles is, is, is important for us to recognize, to acknowledge it, like you said, to, be, to, to acknowledge it, to state the the feeling or the be you know that 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 sensation that emotion that you're in right there because it because what I notice is that is not so much not um not being willing to be with the feelings that's almost and I'm literally processing this live on air so you know it's not like I get to really think about this ahead of time and, and come out with something beautifully articulated but it's almost as if we get stuck in that part of the wheel and and so the 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 physical part that we need to do next keeps getting pushed back almost like a wave of water For, definitely and i think this is the thing is when we go into into that the the dive or that when it's that hard or that valley point is it's how we're, we're how we're navigating through it, and if we are in, you know, when can we navigate through it in a place that is serving us versus a disservice to us? And so, and what I mean by that is, you know, what is the what is the dialogue or the conversation we're having with ourselves? And so, is the the words in my head? Am I saying to myself, I did it again? I can't believe I put myself in this situation. <laughs> You know, I'm such a, you know what, fill it in the blanks, right? Whatever we call ourselves, right? We are then, so that is a disservice. We are then adding more fuel to this dive, like this plummeting fire that's like just, you know, we're just going down the volcano even more. Like it's just, it's, we're just giving more fuel to it. Or while it's happening, it's going to happen. Like it's inevitable. Like you're going to feel bad at some point is, oh, this is part of the process, how can I look at this and be kinder to myself with the language I use? I did the best that I could. Now that I know this, what can I do moving forward? Hey, instead of sitting at the computer and trying to solve this like with force and effort, I'm going to go for a walk and maybe, you know, just go and have to walk my dog or play with my kids and just get myself out of that zone and, and do other things that are more supportive. And so I think it's, it's the dives are going to happen, but it's how we support ourselves in that processing. And that processing, you know, I think asking the question, like, is this what I'm saying in myself, in my head? Like, are these thoughts serving me? Or is, is this action serving me? Or is this a disservice to me and those around me? And then letting that inform the next step. But I think, yeah, and so that, that, that's, that's my, my thought on um, how, how do you navigate it so it doesn't derail us even further, but use it as a way to inform uh, what you want more of. Because sometimes those bad things and those things that derail us are saying, you know, for me, I know if it's informed, I don't want to work with those types of clients. You know, that's, it was great information, so thank mm. you, because I didn't feel good from that. And then it informed, oh, I want to work with those types of clients. And, you know, I've done numerous workshops over the last, I'm going to say, six weeks, and there are certain audiences I love working with, especially when I'm in front of the room and I get energy from. And there are certain audiences that 
really drain my energy and emotionally I feel exhausted. And so for me, it's also been a, a guidepost on, oh, those are people I love working with. Those are people that, you know what, someone else might be better suited working with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, in the startup world, uh, as entrepreneurs, we always talk about that that's, that's data. And are you using the data to help mm-hmm. you make better decisions, or are you in denial of the data? <laughs> yes. And, that's, and so our emotions are just more data, right? And then that, those are two beautiful questions, right, Michelle, that you just said, like, how are you using it? Like, how are you using this data to inform, and, you know, and, and how, is, how can it serve you? And then what, what else is it telling you? And our emotions are just another form of data we get access to. And they're so powerful because they're part of every decision we make. And so the more we become yeah, aware yeah. of the emotional data we have available to us, then we are able to have more informed decisions moving forward. And you know what's interesting, Thinka, because I, I always remind clients when I'm working with them that the better you get at maneuvering in this space with yourself, the easier it starts to become to understand your customers' behaviors. You know, I'm constantly having to find the motivation for people to want to deal with it themselves. And it's like, yeah, when you can recognize this easily for yourself, it makes it much easier for you to recognize it with your customers. So get to work. <laughs> Love it. Beautiful. That's all. That's it. That's all we got to well, say. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what we're going to talk about next month. So thank you so much for, you know, just constantly and lovingly challenging us in our breakthrough tip. You do such a great job of it. Awesome. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for having me part of the conversation. You bet. You know, i got to tell you, sometimes when I think about the topics that surface and then how they end up lining out in the timeline of the month for the show, sometimes I, I sit back and go, yeah, this is funny. I could not have planned all of this for everybody had I intentionally wanted to, especially when I pay attention to the kind of questions that surface, whether they're surfacing at a startup growing here locally or like we just had Pitch a Kid for the first time here in Houston this past week. It's fascinating to watch how these topics end up showing up in multiple places, even though they're quote to the radio show. Well, you know, in our last episode, when we talked with Lisa Barrett on how emotions are made, she helped us understand more about emotions so we can improve, one, uh, our own performance as entrepreneurs, and two, understand our customers to improve our business results. Now, Big Company has been a great example of finding unique and relevant ways to reach, connect, and to tap into their customers' emotions is Ford. How will you follow Ford lead and be more strategic in how you connect and serve your customers? You know, today's consumer has changed that game buying for business no matter what industry you sit. It's why having a buyer journey map has become mandatory if you want to succeed and grow. And this is exactly what Growth Hacking CMO does with their clients when they're approached by businesses and they are raising their hand and going, we need help with our revenues. 
So growth hacking CMOs are masters at crossing that roadmap and then showing clients how to structure their execution with precision. Defining what's important to customers today and using analytics to see how customers are making their buying decisions is the savvy way to prepare for their future needs and to stay relevant. And when you know what's valuable to your customer, you can use that to capture their attention and have it be welcomed. Whether you have 10 or 10,000 customers, your buyer journey net saves you time, money, and headaches. It is your sweet spot, one that can help you generate profits and gain traction for your business. So connect and discover how growthhackingcmo.com can help you do that for 2017. Before we start our featured interview, remember we appreciate it when you share today's show by going to www.thebreakthroughradio.com. Now, join me now as we talk with Mary Lania, who is a clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst. She is a professor and faculty chair at the Wright Institute in Berkeley. Her career has been a long passion to convey an understanding of emotions to the public. You can read some of her work besides in her book, What Motivates Getting Things Done in Psychology Today, Therapy Today, and How Do I Dare website. So please join me as we welcome Mary Atlania to Breakthrough Radio. How are you doing today, Mary? Hi, Michelle. Just fine. Thank you. You know, so one of the things that I find, because I'm in a position of reading a lot of books, in all fairness, <laughs> I get a big kick out of when people on Facebook will post that thing and go, so what are you reading lately? I'm like, and I'll list like five and they'll go, you're reading all those right now? I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's good for you. Is that... <laughs> is that every author has a heartfelt reason for why they've written their book. And then, of course, sometimes that actually aligns to the business reason why they've written their book. But out of curiosity, especially since we're talking about people, behavior, and emotions today and what you know gets them to doing something, what do you want listeners to gain from reading what motivates getting things done? I think it's very, very important to understand emotions, understand how they work, understand our reactions to them, so that we can make the most of the system that motivates us to get things done. Actually, emotions motivate everything we do. So it's really, really important to know how to interpret the messages our emotions convey. You know, it's it's always been exciting as well as perplexing to me. I have, from a very young age, been fascinated with a lot of different philosophies and interests. I mean, someone someone joked the other day, they're like, oh, gosh, you're like a little old soul. How old were you when you started reading that? I was like, oh, I was eight. My mom looked at me kind of funny, but she let me read it anyway. And, and I wonder, uh, out of curiosity, even when you appear to be open-minded when you're younger, is there a way that we um, can allow our kids to stay in that space without us inter- 
steering or putting our limiting beliefs on them that could like send them different directions with with trying to, to just absorb and learn because I, I something tells me that that's pretty uh, keen on uh, what affects us as an adult and as an entrepreneur when we're trying to run our business. You, you know, it's funny, Michelle, that you mentioned interest or curiosity. Interest and curiosity are are very, very important emotions in terms of learning. And you describe having them as a child, you know, uh, to the extreme. And a lot of people who are successful do. They have a, a high level of interest and curiosity and and interest motivates us to to seek, to learn. And you know, it's one of the the main emotions we use in in life. And and look at what happens to babies. You know, they they learn because they're curious, they're interested, and interest propels us forward. So what gets in the way of that? Well. You know, in childhood, often what gets in the way of it is the emotion of shame. Because when children fail or they don't uh, are are not encouraged to continue working at something, even though it's it's not going well for them. For example, uh, kids who have to take time tests or kids who have to learn math facts. A lot of times, kids will give up because. They have the perception that they should be able to do it, and yet they can't do it. And then they feel shame. And and shame makes us want to hide. There's also an upside to shame that makes us want to restore the good feeling. But uh, for the most part, you know, initially shame makes us want to hide or withdraw or avoid or attack ourselves or attack others. So when kids are faced with shame, they need to learn how to navigate through it, how to get through it, and move beyond it. That's what hangs people up, and it hangs us up in adulthood, too. Look at adults who are involved in romantic relationships or in uh, work endeavors, and and they hit a bump, or things don't go their way, or they are rejected by another person, or somebody says no to them about a project, whatever it is. The result is often a feeling of shame. And although shame is our greatest teacher, it when we disp- when we respond defensively or with the general coping responses to shame that I just mentioned, uh, we aren't learning. We are just defensively hiding. Ooh, I'm finding myself wanting to write that down, defensively hiding. I mean, I, you know, it's it's always interesting to me how sometimes keywords in in a conversation or people's answers can be just enough that if I put them on like a postcard and I put it in the area where I'm working, what I've discovered can happen, and I'd I'd encourage listeners to just test it, just try it and see what happens because, you know, being an entrepreneur in the startup space, I'm all about testing and trying things all the time. Uh, And I find that when I do that, interestingly enough, as stuff happens throughout the day that it's just a reminder to me when I look at it and I go, oh, where have I done that this morning? 
you know, it's kind of like Stinka said, it allows me to figure out what and where, acknowledge it as it's happened, and then I'm able to take or respond in in a mindful way that allows me to move in the direction that I want to go. And Right, it's nice to have it's nice to have little insights. If there's if there's one emotion that people should have more insight about, it it is actually uh shame. Uh it's it's such a powerful motivational tool for humans. For example, uh highly successful people tend to have a fear of failure and they become afraid of their fear of failure when in fact they would profit from understanding that a fear of failure is simply shame anxiety, and that shame anxiety is highly motivating in terms of getting things done. You know, the the anticipation that we will experience shame if things don't go right motivates us to pay attention and to focus. So it's not a you know a fear of failure, which is the cognition we associate with shame anxiety is is not a bad thing in the same way people who tend to do things ahead of time uh, often have a fear of forgetting you know so they'll say I've got to do it right now otherwise I'm going to forget that fear of forgetting (laughs) is is the cognition associated with shame anxiety that they'll be humiliated if they don't do something right now and they forget and you know it's not done so, I mean, there's a lot of ways that, you know, we have these kind of thoughts that are actually, the the core of them is related to, to emotion. And, and so shame and anxiety and shame and anxiety together are highly, highly motivating. I mentioned four general response patterns that people use to defend against shame when they can't make use of that information. So when we don't understand what's happening to us when we experience shame, we often go down this tunnel where, for example, we might attack others like, well, I don't care about them, so I'm not going to do that, or I don't want to work with them anyway, so I don't need to be involved in this project, or they're bad and I'm okay. Or we attack ourselves and then we feel like a failure, for example, or, you know, people who cut themselves or people who, you know, do destructive things to themselves are often attacking themselves in response to shame. The big one I find in business is avoidance. People avoid their shame. Alcohol, drugs, um, there's all kinds of ways to avoid experiencing shame. Most addictions are based in shame and have shame behind them. For example, people who um, uh, attend uh, 12-step programs, 12-step programs are very, very effective, primarily because people share their shame. They expose the shame that they've been hiding for years, and they say, I'm an alcoholic, I'm a drug addict, I'm a sex addict, and they get community support for doing so. And it's just very, very healing, you know, having that kind of affirmation for exposing one's shame rather than hiding it, you know, from it or avoiding it. And then the the fourth uh, response to shame that's defensive is withdrawal, where people just give up. And you see that in people who fail. They withdraw effort. Uh, it's, It's a way, actually, to just not feel 
the sting of shame. You know, something that surfaced for me as it does, as I was listening to you, because you were talking about avoidance and the the another word that I saw kind of just come up in a bubble in my mind as you as you talked about all the different ways of avoidance and shame was decisions. And it's funny because I was talking with uh, someone new that we just connected on LinkedIn recently, and I've used this you know, simple way of getting to know people, you know, beyond the, hey, let's let's learn about one another. Most people don't ever take it to the next step. And so when people connect with me, I'll send them back a question depending on what I've read in their profile uh, and asking them about something that they're discovering is really surfacing this year in, in their industry. And one person who connected with me, we're both kind of in that whole leadership um, uh, yeah, that's probably the, the easiest label, the, that leadership space uh, on working with businesses and entrepreneurs. And we both gave each other almost the same answer. It was just articulated really differently. And that is we're noticing people are really having uh, a harder time making decisions now. And and I'm, I'm wondering as I kind of look and watch people do it in the moment or as I talk to, you know, clients who are kind of articulating how they're feeling about it, if it's not kind of tied to a little bit of what you just shared, it's like they haven't come to an understanding or acknowledgement of recognizing things that trigger them in the moment if you're not recognizing what's triggering you in the moment and identifying it, then it makes it really hard for you to know what kind of data or information you have on hand in order to feel good about making a solid decision. Right, or uh, to not be afraid of making a wrong decision. You know, successful successful people, I studied anyway, uh, often experience regret about how they do things, even if they've done them well. And the experience of regret, blending of shame with fear and distress, those emotions are involved. And it represents internal feedback about our performance, and it serves an important self-supervisorial function. So uh, when you have a moment of regret, or if you have regrets about the way you do things, and you are capable of looking back and speculating how you could have performed differently or better or what went wrong. If you're not afraid of your shame, but you want to learn from shame, you'll succeed. Interesting. You know, as much as we have heard People are motivated to eat, you know, some people are motivated by wanting things to be positive and some people are motivated by the, the negative sides of things. I still catch myself having to go, that's not what motivates this person, Michelle. You're motivated by positives, the, the, the good that's going to come out of this, and that's not what's motivating them, which is why your message isn't landing. What can we do if we find that we're we tend to lean towards one versus the other to allow us to recognize the different types as I believe you call them motivational styles 
Right, because both positive and negative emotions motivate us. Uh, we're, we're not prone to just one way or the other. You know, the the way I describe people is I, I've sort of divided all these successful people I studied into two camps, although it's more of a range. Uh, there are task-driven people, which are uh, those who are primarily motivated by the emotions that are activated in response to uncompleted tasks. When they see things that have to get done, they just can't help themselves. They have to do it. Their their emotions are are activated around tasks themselves. And then there are those who whose emotions are who are motivated when they get close to a deadline. In fact they, they seem to need a deadline in order for the emotions to emerge that uh put them into action. Um so are we motivated by by positive emotion or ne- negative emotion? Well no because I mean of course we're motivated by positive emotion because it makes us feel good. Yes. We may do something because it makes us feel good, but we're also motivated because we want to avoid uh, negative emotion or relieve ourselves of its effect. If we see that there is something that has to be done, for example, if we're task-driven, and it causes us anxiety or agitation or annoyance or whatever it causes us, some negative emotion is in the air, once we get something done, we feel this relief for a big project. Then we feel relieved when it's over. It's the relief of negative emotion. But the negative emotion is what is driving us to to finish it. You know, and some people say, well, you know, aren't we motivated by pride and the positive feeling we get from pride and as though that's a cognition rather than emotion. But actually... The sense of pride is very much a, a part of our emotional life, our positive emotions, because when whenever we have a thought about, well, if I do this, I will feel proud of myself, I'm going to feel a lot of pride, or whatever we think, it taps into our whole warehouse of emotional memories where we've had good feeling because we've accomplished something. And so, really, pride is not just a cognition. Pride taps into all those feelings we've had of good moments, even way back where where we don't remember, like seeing the joy and the gleam in our parents' eyes when we took our first steps. We may not remember that, but that was a source of pride, and that emotional memory is way down there in our in our storage, and it comes up when we anticipate feeling pride. So then you you think, well, how about people who fail? People who fail repeatedly and don't want to try really can't access a whole lot of memories of feeling great about an achievement. So what's necessary is for them to slowly build emotional memories uh, that they store away of accomplishing something so that they can access memories of of good feeling and pride and want to pursue other things and anticipate feeling good rather than failing. That was a mouthful. That's so (laughs) interesting. No, because I I found myself as I was listening to you, um, uh, you know, Mary, it's like I've often asked myself, 
and this this would be fascinating to send uh, a short question out to listeners to see uh, where this falls within the, the group of us, is that why is it that, for example, when I do, you know, different kind of meditations or if I'm doing um, more of a visualization type of situation where, you know, I'm wanting to accomplish something and and so, you know, I'll close my eyes and I'll just start envisioning myself doing it that in that whole process of moving in that direction, I have just me, so I recognize just me. I don't know that it's everybody else. This this is so going to be a fascinating conversation to start triggering with people all this next month, um, is that I have to stop and think about an occasion that I really, really, really liked, and I'm thinking to myself, why? I don't have to do that when I think about stuff that I find really painful they come to mind super fast. Why do I have to stop and think about something that felt really, really good? It's almost like the good um, is in a constant position of the balloon needing to be blown up and the negative feeling, that balloon's already taunt. It's as big as it's going to get. Why is that? Well, think about, you know, in, in terms of evolution, you know, Emotional memories guide us and inform us as we navigate through the present, prepare for the future. So it's probably more important to think about what time of day a saber-toothed tiger comes to your cave than it is to think about, you know, eating something good. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? It's like certain emotions protect us more than others. And so if we have emotional memories of good things, you know, we don't we don't need to protect ourselves so much with those. We need to protect ourselves with the bad ones, and that's why people who have bad experiences, they use that buzzword, are afraid of being triggered. You know, that a bad experience will be triggered. If you've had uh, uh people who are who start out especially early in their life, you know, in in their 20s and and even in their teens, and have relationships where they, where where somebody cheats on them, for example, they have a hard time getting that out of their mind. They don't think about all the good things that happened in their last relationship. They only think of the thing that hurt them most. You know, shame is powerful, and it is. It, it really, really alerts us because it takes away all of our good feeling. But basically, emotions are there and emotional memories are there to protect us and guide us. This may seem like it's coming out of left field, but the entrepreneur in me, as I was listening to you go, if shame is such a huge driver for people, and we know people make their buying decisions are far more emotional than a lot of times they're intellectually honest with themselves about. Why do not more brands use shame to get people on board? I'm sorry, why Why do... What was your why question do more again? brands not use the emotion shame to get people on board, to get them to trigger them to buy their product? Oh, that would be, that would be that, that would be really mean. <laughs> Although, 
Well, they use the reverse of shame. They, the, for example, they will use uh, pride. If you have a, a a certain watch, or if you have a certain item, or a certain cl- bit of clothing, or book, or something, it, it it's like a, a what's a status symbol? The status symbol is the opposite of shame. It's shame avoidance. So if you want to avoid shame, you better have this thing. So in a way, they do. Manufacturers use emotions in various ways. They're very smart about this. For example, you get into your car, and if you start your engine and you don't put on your seatbelt, the dinging starts uh, alerting you to fasten your seatbelt. And if you don't fasten your seatbelt, eventually you'll become annoyed by that dinging, and you'll want relief from the agitation it causes you, and then you will plug it in. And so, you know, emotions are like that. They're like a, a dinging sound. Negative emotions are like that, that that alert you and alert you and alert you until you pay attention to them. So, yes, I mean, manufacturers, people use emotions in various, in various ways. Um, but it's mostly they try to trigger it in terms of pride rather than shame. Oh, well, you know, shame has involved some... Sometimes we shouldn't shame people to uh, try to get them to do something, just like parents shouldn't shame their children. I mean, in a way, that's bullying when we shame. There seems to be a lot of that behavior happening right now, but we didn't come together to have a, have a political conversation. So I'm going to devoid that you know, one. <laughs> you know, Michelle, that it's it's interesting. Uh, we have such differences in the world, and it's an important time to look at differences and, in some ways, um, accept differences or understand them better. You don't have to accept them, but you have to understand them in some ways, and it helps you accept them. Uh, you know, how we learn from, from dealing with our core emotions makes us who we become. So a lot of behaviors and convictions that we we criticize or, or judge Political party preferences, religious beliefs, those are the result of having an ideology that is fueled by emotion and all the emotional memories we have throughout our lives create our political beliefs, create our religious beliefs, create a lot of our beliefs. So, you know, people are very much a compilation of their emotional memories. I agree with you on that. You know, there's a there's a uh, there's a bullet point here in the book that I've circled and starred to make sure I didn't forget to ask you about this because I think it's not something that people always um, notice when it occurs, and and I wanted to ask you the power behind being able to do that. And that is where you've got a bullet and it says, recognize the space between your emotional response and reaction to what you feel. Why is it important for us to be able to recognize that space between those two things, the emotional response and the reaction to what we feel? How does that help us in being uh, motivated to get things done? Well, first of all, let me give you an example that that maybe is more obvious in terms of that. Uh, for example, we when we talk about uh, anger management is a big thing for people. 
and and so uh, people are often instructed to you know pause before they r- respond with their anger. But what's interesting is that one has to understand what emotion they're feeling that makes them respond in a particular way. So people who have angry responses, uh, many times it's not an issue of anger. Here we are, back to shame again. A core of shame or a shame trigger often makes people attack others with anger. And so what they need to understand is their shame and not their anger. So if they could sit still long enough to to realize that what their spouse or friend or somebody cut them off on the road made them feel was shame, in that space they wouldn't need so much to respond with anger. In terms of, of what motivates getting things done, is uh, there are people who feel very, very high anxiety at a deadline, for example, my deadline-driven people. And task-driven people tend to feel high anxiety about tasks to complete when they notice they're, they're undone. If they take a look at that, they often feel that that anxiety uh, makes them feel, one woman called it psycho. I feel like a psycho every time a deadline is near. Well, if you look at that anxiety and pause, you don't have to feel crazy or you don't have to put it into something else or you don't have to medicate it with alcohol or drugs or pharmaceuticals. It's there to help you. And so you kind of take a breath and look at the emotion, understand what the emotion is, and why is that emotion giving me this kind of energy at this moment? And what can I do with it? How can I focus it? For example, the, I have one uh, a salesperson who said, every time I make a huge deal, uh, I begin to get really, really frightened that it's my last one. Hmm. And I want to get rid of that because I can't stand that that anxiety of feeling like it's my last the last deal I'll ever make and I'll never make another one. Well, if you stand back and and rather than try to get rid of it, like go and have a uh, go home and have a drink, if you look at that, you'll see that when you make when you make a big sale, what will what will propel you into making more? I mean, is it a good idea to just sit back and relax? Not necessarily. You know, the cognition that fearing it'll be your last activates more emotion, anxiety, shame, fear of shame, and it makes you keep going. It's a good thing. And so then you you stop and you say to yourself, I don't need to go have a drink to get rid of this feeling like I'm going to fail. All I have to do is get to work and, you know, find more more clients, find more sources. And then it's relieved. Yeah, Emotions are complex. They are complex, but yet the thing that keeps popping up as I'm listening to you answer questions uh, is 
the more we make friends with our emotions, the more we, you know, it reminds me of when people say to me, how is it your instinct is so strong, Michelle? I, I, I don't understand that. I want to be able to do that for myself. And I said it's because every time it talks to me, I pay attention, I take an action toward it, I get a good result, and then I thank it. I said, it's a process like any other process that you use inside your business. If you're working with it and and you get a good result and, and you encourage it to continue giving you that information, then your instinct gets stronger. But, you know, it's, it's, like your, it's like your muscles. When you work them out, they get bigger and they get stronger. But if you're in constant resistance to it, then instead all you have is a fight all the time. Well... You know, you're you're fascinating in that you use your interest to activate more interest. Mm. So it's wonderful. You have a continuous, you know, cycle of of interest and curiosity, and that's what we want to see in successful people. You know, uh, of course, people differ in what motivates their their interest and they have to understand that so if you say oh i've read this great book you know it may not sit so well with me because of all the emotional memories in in my life that lead me to be interested in one thing over another um you know i'm glad you brought that up because some people get confused when they think they're quote helping someone they focus too much on how the person reacted to it instead of ask themselves the question, why did I find the need to constantly always think I needed to help people? It's like share your experience, but if you get too involved in their reaction or their response to your experience when you're just trying to share it, then you've kind of missed, you've missed, you've just missed an opportunity. It's like, it's almost like don't take on other people's stuff. Just be willing to share what works for you and, and, Ask them to kind of use curiosity to determine whether or not that might be something they want to look at too. Oh, you're so right. We take so personally whether or not somebody is interested in what we're saying or presenting or or you know whatever we are interested in. And there's such a variation. It's not something you could take personally. They either are, or they aren't, and it's. It's not based on whether or not you're you are an interesting person. It's based on their warehouse of memories and what activates their interest. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. I think I know a lot of listeners that's going to help just all by itself. You know, there's another bullet in your book that I thought. Uh, sorry, was... but one more thing about that, and you have to pay attention okay. to what's working and not and and what's working and not working with somebody if you're. For example, trying to sell something uh, or p- present a product or present a proposal, and you don't see the activation of curiosity or interest in the other person, you got to be aware of that and switch gears. And people tend to do that naturally, though there are some people who feel they have to just stay on the path they're on and don't deviate because they're not reading the other person. Yeah, one of our guest hosts on the show who's been with us almost from the very beginning, Don Cooper, uh, and his brand is The Sales Heretic, and he talks about that all the time. 
he said, if you're if you're talking to a prospect about something and they aren't as engaged as you are as you're having the conversation, you need to back up and start asking more questions. Don't just keep going forward with all your information. You're missing the opportunity to actually learn and connect and potentially uncover what their needs are. <laughs> right. Well, interest excitement is a core emotion, and one uh, needs to make sure they understand what that looks like in, in other people. Uh, although there are some people where uh, you may be presenting something to them and they may not be interested in it, and they will find a way to make it more interesting to them. Uh, you know, there are people who use strategies to make something uh, more interesting, um, like they divert your attention to a more fascinating part of whatever you're presenting or whatever they do. They're they're able to do that. But interest interest is a very very important emotion. So there's another bullet that I thought was really in, interesting. <laughs> I circled it a lot to make sure I didn't forget to ask you about it because I've noticed this behavior quite a bit in people. And, and so your your bullet states, be committed to your goals and keep promises to yourself regarding what you must accomplish to get you there. And, and I circled it a lot because I noticed the kind of conversations what I call the internal chatter that people have with themselves. That's that's something that I work with with um, business and marketing clients a lot. And I'm amazed how many times people break promises to themselves and then don't understand why they say things like, oh, God, I'm having a hard time getting motivated to get this accomplished. I'm like, well, so have you broken every other promise to yourself to do something that in the past? And now your brain is like going, yeah, you keep taking us down this road, then you dump a bunch of dog poo on us. Do you really think we're going to keep doing this with you? You were talking earlier as I was listening in about – wishing to maintain the good feeling all the time, and then you go into a, a, a slump for a while. That people go into these slumps, and that's when they, they give up or don't keep promises to themselves or don't keep the commitments they have made to complete a project. And And so when you think about it, I mean, if you understand how emotions work, we know that you can't stay positive all the time. And when you accomplish something, yes, you know, the drop in stimulation alone may make you feel like you go into a slump. But our emotions are designed so that actually we can't maintain a a high positive level at all times. And if you understand that, you'll know that when you go into these little slumps, you'll also know that you'll come out of them. If you if you put it in terms of a relationship, when you have a relationship with, with somebody, say an intimate relationship with somebody, it's not going to stay great all the time. And and even if it even if the patterns of behavior don't change, there are ways in which we are just simply designed to be on alert to look for the negative. And again, if we didn't We'd be eaten by the saber-toothed tiger because we wouldn't be paying attention. 
And that saber-toothed tiger can look like a lot of different things. I find sometimes yes. people are too literal <laughs> yes. when we have that conversation. That right. saber-toothed tiger could be your avoidance to actually doing something good for yourself, and so instead you beat yourself up all the time. It's just, oh, it just amazes me. Well, uh, you know, the saber-toothed tiger is all of our emotional memories where something bad has happened. And so our emotional memories serve a very important purpose. You know, whenever something happens in the present, our brain instantaneously scans our warehouse of emotional memories. And if it comes across something where it wants to alert us to be careful, it will do so. And so we might feel this wince suddenly, like, "Mm, don't be too happy about this, or, you know, is that person really paying attention to me or are they completely bored or whatever whatever might come up for you. But we scan our emotional memories for all those situations where we had to be careful or we were burned in the past or something bad happened or it didn't go our way or we had to be on alert or we should have been on alert. And And so in the present moment, we may suddenly feel some feeling of caution or... Uh, it may rain on our parade, you know, suddenly uh, our good feelings go to bad because we're just trying to alert ourselves to be careful. And when you understand your emotions, you don't take that too seriously. And, you know, you say, okay, what am I trying to alert myself to? And then you move on. So one of the things that I would love for you to share with listeners today you've talked about the deadline-driven motivational style and the task-driven motivational style. For each of those, what would you say are that each of those styles could ask themselves that would allow them to not get stuck? Something that they could easily remember. Kind of like that postcard thing I talked about, index card thing I talked about, that when I write those things down, all of a sudden it, it allows me to go, oh, okay, that's what that is. I provide a whole chapter in the book about optimizing your motivational style, and I discuss general guidelines for both styles and then guidelines for people who tend to be deadline-driven procrastinators and guidelines for task-driven non-procrastinators, and they're they're extensive, but, um, gee, covering both of them, um, I, I think people have to be aware of their style and, and sort of uh, make note of when they perform optimal, optimally. I mean, that really, really helps people to know what helps them optimally perform. So and and learn from mistakes. Learn from your shame. Learn from your regrets. Learning is a big one. Learning from failure. When we can learn from failure, it sort of turns it into a positive. And you know, for an overall guideline, I would I would say that that's a big one. Um, in terms of deadline-driven procrastinators, find a way to create. Uh, false deadlines that are really deadlines, I mean, that that you stick to. Like, I'm going to get all these things done before I leave for the airport on Thursday. And I think procrastinators who are successful tend to do that naturally. Um, they, they tend to narrow the time available to complete tasks. Um, 
Oh, they. Oh, one thing. One thing that's really tricky that they do is they often tell somebody else about the target date for the completion of a task. Somehow conveying that information to somebody else helps them keep that promise to themselves. Um, one thing I say is uh, to both uh, motivational styles is always check your sleep. Have a regular sleep schedule. People who tend to be deadline-driven procrastinators uh, use their sleep time at times as extra time. That's not okay. You have to make your time, your bedtime, sacred. And people who are task-driven often wake up at night or don't go to bed on time because they feel they have to get all these things done, otherwise they'll forget. Your your bedtime should be sacred. You should have a consistent sleep schedule, a time you go to bed, a time you wake up, and that'll keep you healthy. Totally agree on that one. Oh my gosh, I've noticed I've noticed a huge difference when I keep that promise to myself. I totally I also get it that sometimes it's challenging. Like listeners know, for the past month I've been in like an unexpected mood both business and, and home and so it was just like <laughs> yes and definitely and, and using your sleep time to to just have it always in your mind that that you're making a promise to yourself that that is not time that's available to you that's time when you have to when your brain cleans itself it's very important for your brain that it gets adequate rest and so then you You have to check your caffeine levels too yes 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 i've you know that's funny because i'm amazed at people who can drink coffee late afternoon in the evening and and go to sleep easily because i'm one of those that i can't have it past two i won't be able to sleep that night i'll just move right most people (laughs) most people i advise not to drink coffee after 2 p.m Otherwise, they'll stay away. It can keep you awake. Coffee's a coffee's a drug, and the coffee's that are the caffeine that's out right now. Some of it really stimulates the brain, and people can become very addicted to it too. Caffeine withdrawal is brutal. <laughs> it is. People get severe headaches. There's been a few times. <laughs> yeah, I, there's been a few times I've completely gone off of it and I know the two weeks of going through that process of drinking lots of water especially lemon water in the morning uh, it gives me headaches going through the process of not having any in my system and to me that should probably be a really good indicator to us why it's not always the best thing for us to go through Mm. Well, Mary, there is a question that we ask all the guests who come on Breakthrough Radio it ended up becoming our signature question in our first year, and I've only forgotten to ask it three times the whole nine years we've been on air. And every time I forgot, Lou in New York pinged me on Twitter and said, you forgot my favorite question. I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> and it's funny I how can't imagine it, what that is. Um, <laughs> well, it's funny how it came about. I was actually watching one Saturday, and Spock was doing that whole mind melt thing where he puts his hands on people's heads and he morphs into their entire life from beginning to end. 
And I was being kind of snarky and yelled at the TV because we know nobody listening to Breakthrough Radio has ever done that before. <laughs> and I yelled at, the, yelled at Spock. I said, I don't care about everything that happened in his life. But if you can explain to me why he made that choice and that decision, and as soon as it was out of my mouth, I was like, oh, wait, actually, that's kind of an interesting lesson or question. How many times do we try to go for a whole mind meld when all we needed was a little mini brain download? All we needed was, how does a person make that choice and that decision? And so then I really got playful with it, and I said, ooh, how cool would that be if you could do that? You could just push a little button and go, I want to have a brain download with anyone, whether it's someone from the past, someone from the present, or maybe even someone from the future. So Mary... If you could have a brain download where you could find out why someone made a choice and a decision, whether it's past, present, or future, who would you want to have a brain download from and why? Well, I would just want to have a brain download with myself because I think as we age and grow, we distort our own memories in ways that uh, help us and ways that don't. And so it would be sort of fascinating to look back and um, take a look at all those memories and what happened and why I distorted them the way I did. I would want to look, download my own brain because I would want to learn. Interesting. I've got to tell you, you were the first person in nine years that it said they'd want to have a brain download with themselves. Really? And I'm, I'm sitting here I'm listening to it and I'm going... That makes so much sense. How come nobody has said that yet? <laughs> I want to learn from all the experiences of shame where I distorted my memories or I didn't learn or all of that. I don't want to know about other people's. <laughs> I know about other people's <laughs> every day in my practice when they download their brain. But it would that be interesting. Is yes, that's Perfect. Oh, my goodness. So we've talked about the different motivational styles. You've helped us think about some questions that we can ask ourselves. And, you know, it's been a very interesting and delightful conversation. Is there anything that you thought I could have asked that maybe I didn't think to ask that you'd like to share with listeners before we shift into our next segment? No, I appreciate your interest and curiosity and the direction we we took on the interview and enjoyed it very much. Uh, if people want more information, they could go to my website. It's marylamia.com, L-A-M-I-A. And there's my other books on there, and uh, hopefully they'll get the information they need. But thank you very much. Thank you so much, Mary. I know how much work it takes to write a book, and we appreciate the fact that you got all of that out of your head and down on paper so that listeners <laughs> can read it, they can learn from it, and they can benefit from it. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, my goodness, guys. How many times has it been, uh, have we had for you guests on the show that have really kind of stretched your thinking and have, have encouraged you to be more curious with your thoughts. You know, it's, it's funny, as entrepreneurs, 
one of the things that that I've observed in others and I've observed in myself is the more we are willing to ask ourselves these really cool questions and and use the great knowledge that guests like Mary um, has in her book of what motivates getting things done, the easier it is for us to learn about ourselves, the more we understand about ourselves, the easier it is for us to start learning that about our customers. And, you know, the whole idea of Breakthrough Radio is to help you with the internal as well as the external strategies for business. So, boy, are we hitting the internal ones on the button today. Well, it is time for us to shift over into our conversation as we talk to another one of our favorite people who comes on every fourth Monday of the month, and that is our go-for-no expert, Andrea Wolf. So, you guys, please join me as I make her mic live because today she is going to talk about what it means to be flexible or break. How you doing, Andrea? Hey, Michelle. I am doing so good. Good to be on today. And I'm super excited about today's segment. I'm always excited about my segments, but this one um, really hit home for me because I apparently am not as flexible as I thought. <laughs> and um, my hus- husband and business partner. Yeah, well, my husband and business partner pointed that one out to me, which um, I didn't react very well to, I, I will admit. And then um, probably because I, I'm inflexible, so I had to step back, become flexible and open-minded to even accept that feedback. So some of what I talk about today um, is – because I just find the topic fascinating, and that's usually how I end up selecting my topics. It's usually because there's something that really resonates with me personally, which this one does, or it's um, something that I just hear people talk about, I hear people ask about, I see it online, I see, um, I get messages uh, for people who read our books, and that's the other way I choose. So today was kind of a personally chosen topic the interesting thing about open-mindedness is that we really require that, actually, of the people who learn go for no. I mean, when people hear go for no, and they automatically think, oh, that sounds negative, that sounds, I don't want to hear the word no. The funny thing is I really ask people to take a moment and kind of remove their perceptions about yes, no, and failure and success. So I ask it of my customers and potential customers and don't sometimes practice it in my own life and in my own business. So this is, um, I really dug into this and I'm excited to share um, some topics, some strategies, some thought processes around being flexible and open-minded in your business. And it's so, so important. One of my favorite quotes is, a mind is like a parachute. It doesn't work if it is not open. Frank Zappa is attributed to that one. And of course, in today's marketplace, keeping an open mind is so important. And we get as we get older, too, just the routines and the things that we do, and we lose that flexibility. Um, and the question is, what does that lack of flexibility costing you? Are, do you end up creating more problems? Problems go unsolved because 
you're not approaching things with an open mind and having that flexible mindset and are you losing opportunities because of that as well. So that is just something that I, I, I see it happen to myself. I think it is a common thing that happens when we are in general um, not flexible, don't have that open mind. And so flexibility in your mindset is more important than ever. Now, the definition of open-minded, by the way, because I kind of use these two interchangeably, but the definition of open-minded is a willingness to try new things or to hear and consider new ideas. The definition of flexibility, um, and this one was, uh, I, I liked this, it was the quality of bending easily without breaking, which was kind of our tagline for my segment of the show. It is also defined, though, as a willingness to change or a compromise. So they go hand in hand, obviously, but uh, I merged them because I feel like if you need to be – you. you they're, they go so hand in hand, but you need to be open first, right? You need to have that open mind just to be able to accept and listen to ideas, and then you need to be willing to accept them. So it really is that being open-minded and then having that flexibility to uh, consider those ideas and to make the changes, to go ahead and take the action. So what are all the benefits of all this open-mindedness and all this flexibility? Well, one, you adapt to change easier and faster. And in our show notes, I even talked about this. Gary Vaynerchuk, social media guy, right, um, has posed this really interesting thought, and that is um, he asks people all the time uh, in his talks, he'll say to people, you know, did you ever, when you, when you saw that shopping, online shopping, came along and you thought, I am never going to pull out my credit card and type it into some person's weird shopping box on the internet and, you know, get this stuff shipped to me. I'm not doing it. Um, I think we've all been there. I think when online shopping first came on the scene, you know, we said, I'm not going to buy, I'm not going to buy clothing or shoes or pet food or supplies online. And now here we've totally changed that mindset and it's becoming easier and easier. One click ordering and all of these things. Some people order everything online. Um, so what other things about technology have you changed? Social media. I know a lot of people who said, oh, I'm not going to get on Facebook or I'm not going to do Snapchat, or I'm not, going to, I'm not getting online, and now they end up using those tools. They finally give in for one reason or another, even if it's to keep up with their family members. You know, people finally cave in and get a Facebook account just so they can see what's going on with their family members. Cell phones, same thing, right? They came out, people looked ridiculous with their giant phones, and we People said, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't need a phone. That's, that's silly. And now, of course, we all walk around with our phones and our backpacks and purses. So there is that type of flexibility and open-mindedness about the future and about technology. And I think the trick with that, I believe the trick with that is to be on the cutting edge of that technology, but not necessarily the bleeding edge, meaning sometimes you can be so early, you can be such an early adopter that the timing isn't right, but if you stay open-minded to these things, that when you feel the timing is right, you're aware enough of, to have these changes benefit um, you. Know, you. And, and 
perfect, interesting example. I remember uh, many years ago now, before we left for Florida, so this is like pre-2010, podcasting had come along and radio shows had come along and Richard and I had a radio show for a short time and Michelle you've been doing your show for a long time you know there was a time um, and you can talk to this about this later but there was a time when it was the hot thing and then it kind of took a dip and kind of faded and now radio shows and podcasts are all the rage and they've been that way for the last couple years so it's interesting that it I think it started off, and I don't know if people were ready. I don't know if people were in the mindset to listen to radio and podcasts through the Internet and through their phones or, you know, their iPods or what have you. Um, That was the bleeding edge. And then people – and then it finally caught on, and now it's everywhere, and everybody's, you know, everybody's doing it. Um, But there were people, early adopters in the beginning, many of whom left the medium, some of whom came back, um, but there was this dip, right? There was this this dip, and so a lot of times you have to stay through that dip. But that open-mindedness and flexibility – um, to go through that dip, to stay with it. Um, it, it really having that makes uh, that adopting to change easier and faster. And so if you want to be that person who's not always behind the eight ball, it's being open-minded and flexible to technology when it comes down the line. The second thing to to why open-mindedness and flexibility is so powerful is that it really helps you be a better problem solver and get new solutions. And I will give you, again, I told you guys I'm raising my hand on this one because I, I do I have an inflexible mindset sometimes. Perfect example. Richard and I have finished a very long series of fiction books, and we have changed the cover on this book not once, but twice. And we read and got advice on what this cover should look like and feel like. And in our quest to get our way and in our vision, um, we just ignored that advice. (laughs) We were not open-minded at all because we're so fixated on doing things our way. And um, so what, what ended up happening was uh, we just we found this second cover. We thought it would solve the problems of the first cover. It didn't. We just dragged the problems that we had from the first book cover to the second book cover. Finally, we hired a professional book cover designer in this particular genre and honestly did exactly what we didn't want to do. Like we are fighting this tooth and nail so it's talk about inflexible closed-mindedness but we just it was not our vision but sometimes especially in creative endeavors your vision can really sabotage you so you have to be open-minded um we had a third cover designed and wouldn't you know it that when we tested it with our readers they all said it was a 10, a 9 of 10, unbelievable, greatest cover ever, not a peep about our old cover, not a, oh, but I liked the old cover, oh, you guys, you know, the old cover was so interesting. They thought this was great, and they did because that's what the market wants. But we were too inflexible and not open-minded enough to see that, just 
sticking to our guns of what we thought we wanted, what our creative vision was, and that really can sabotage you. So I am speaking from experience here that if you are trying to find solutions to problems or if you're stuck on something and you want to be a better problem solver, you've got to get out of your own way sometimes and especially if it's in in something creative, some kind of creative endeavor where things are subjective, testing definitely works really, really well because you can get other people's opinions, but you have to be open-minded enough to accept what works and what people like and what other people are doing and what other people are saying because you will self you will sabotage yourself if you are just coming at things with this um inability to be flexible uh, not being able to have an open mind and then finally when you're flexible you tend to then see things that you never saw before. All of a sudden, opportunities suddenly seem to appear. And, of course, these things don't simply pop out of thin air. You just allow yourself to finally look at them. And so, for example, um, you've written a book, and you've been rejected by all the publishers you've contacted. And previously, you were bound and determined to get a publisher, but now you're thinking that maybe you're going to have to figure something else out. You know, the the whole getting a publisher thing is not working. So you finally decide that you're going to self-publish a book. And now your reticular activating system will kick in. Um, your brain will wake up. And now you will suddenly notice books on writing and workshops for publishing and people that you know who've written books and published them on their own, news about pub, you know self-publishing and uh, classes and courses, not because that world just started up, but because you finally became open-minded and focused on a new solution. You became open-minded and flexible to a new idea and to a new plan. It's really tricky. It's so simple, and yet it can be so hard to do. But if you just step back and don't hold on so tightly to your ideas to kind of allow those things to come about, um, it, it will definitely benefit you. So all of that said, I think the, the benefits of being open-minded and flexible are pretty obvious to everybody. I mean, we all want to be that way. Um, the challenge is how to do it, right? How to have this, how to have this flexibility mindset. And I really call it a mindset because it, it really all comes down to the, the ways that we think and how we think and then the actions that we take. So I have an action plan um, so that you don't fall back into your old ways. And if you think you are, and I've been putting these into practice for a long time to get out of my closed-minded, inflexible ways, and I know that these things work. Some of them are more radical than others. Some of them are a little simple. The first one is to change your environment. So in that moment where you're presented with something and your knee-jerk reaction, if your knee-jerk reaction is uh, one of inflexibility where you, you feel immediately closed-minded about something, then change your environment. Take a walk. Take a break. Get out of the environment and you will feel your mind shift. If you can exercise, that will change your mental state. And 
kind of, I, I mentioned you can do something extreme. Um, Richard and I, husband, business partner, we finished our three-year book project I was just telling you about. Uh, got working on getting the new covers, being open-minded. We are in a state of transition, and as such, we're taking a few months away, literally just divesting ourselves of everything, going to rent a house in Virginia, getting away from our place, our home in Florida, um, uh, giving up our lease here, and completely mixing it up, just to shock our brains out of their current state, to really clean the slate so that we can say, all right, what are the new things that we want to do for our go-for-no business? What are the new books that we want to write? Um, What are all the things that we want to do? Just doing that really shocks your brain into uh, a, a new state, a new way of thinking. And sometimes, you know, if you can't do that, sometimes unplugging for a couple days doing a getaway for the weekend can really help recharge and help you step away from things so that you feel more flexible, you feel more open because you're not tied down to things so much. You don't get in those routines. You don't get in those ruts. And changing your routine is a powerful thing to do to the brain. I have read many, many times, um, and one of the people that we interviewed for our go for no movie was a psychologist who talked about brain plasticity now neuroplasticity and they say that even driving home from the grocery store or home from work a different way affects the brain the surprise actually does the brain good why it forces your brain into making new connections that's what neuroplasticity is so literally you think about trying to be more flexible, right? And you, you, the first thing that pops into my head, of course, is, is yoga because I'm so terrible at yoga. I go. <laughs> I go because I need it because I'm so, so inflexible, actually. I actually have to go to yoga as well. Um, neuroplasticity is the way, is kind of the brain. It's the brain's yoga, if you will. So if you do things that forces your brain to make new connections, like, for example, um, creating a mindset where you don't fear failure and rejection. Can you reprogram your mind where you don't have that fear of the word no, of rejection? And the answer that we found when we were making our movie was yes. Absolutely, you can. Uh, You just need to think about it differently and you need to build new connections through your new thought processes to where, okay, I saw that I didn't die from somebody rejecting me. It's the same thing for anything that's new. So switching up your routine, getting away for a while, doing something different, however small, eating new, getting a new type of food, at a restaurant, all of these things, they seem small, but they're powerful ways of just keeping the brain a little bit off balance so that it can keep making those new connections and help you keep open-minded and flexible. So that's really the first step in your action plan is in those moments, change your environment. Do what you can to change your environment. Number two is change your words. Change your words. Move away from the absolute words, and those are things like always, can't, only, every, never, 
um, which is my favorite, uh, none must. You practice flexibility thinking, which changes your mindset, by changing the words you use. So question your thoughts and your words. Become aware of what you're thinking and saying. So my my favorite word is, uh, which my knee-jerk reaction has been in the past, oh, there's no way, we're never doing that. <laughs> like an idea, Richard will present me with an idea, we're never doing that. And that is just my knee-jerk reaction. Not like, all right, let me sit and think about it for a minute. Well, perhaps that's something we can try. It's just those always and all and never. If you're someone who has that knee-jerk reaction and has those absolute words, if you use those, those are the fast way to really be inflexible and to not have an open mind. So be aware of what you're saying out loud. Be aware of what you're uh, saying or thinking to yourself, what words you're using, so that you don't attach or lock yourself into one way of thinking. So changing your words is really uh, is really um, big, and I think that that never word um, is so powerful because usually uh, always and never are just such exaggerations, right? I mean, they they're um, they're very, very limiting. So that's the second thing. Number three. Number three is listen. Listen to others and really listen. Don't defend. Don't prepare to come back with a retort like, again, this will never work. Take a deep breath and step away from the emotional connection you have to the issue to be open to other views, other ideas, other ways of doing things. And again, you guys, I can feel my ears. I can literally feel my brain start shutting down if I hear an idea that I don't, you know, (laughs) that I have to just consider because, and it's not because it's not a reasonable idea. What I've learned is it's because it's going to require some thought and some effort with potential for error on my part. So I have to sit back and really let myself think about it. I have to work on sitting back and detaching myself. So one of the things that Richard and I have done, and and we have done this for quite some time, but I realized when I was developing today's segment was this question actually has allowed us to detach emotionally from some of the decisions that we have made in our business, especially lately. This is such a great question. Um, if you're feeling like you can't be objective, you know, it's really easy to say, well, don't have an emotional connection, step back um, and, and get, get rid of that emotion. Well, the problem sometimes with, you know, being inflexible and not being open-minded is because we are emotional about it, right? We're, our emotions are tied up because it's our livelihood or our passion or our creative project. So, Again, if you're shutting down, here's the question that we like to ask ourselves. And we say, would we give this same advice to someone else who wanted to do this? And the question is so powerful because it really forces you to be objective. So we always ask ourselves, if we have an idea or a thought, like, hey, let's do, let's do this with our next book. Then we step back and we say, all right, is that a good idea? Are we too close to this? would we give the same advice to someone else who wanted to do this? And 
sometimes the answer is no, it's actually a bad idea. But somehow we talked ourselves into it or we won't we weren't thinking clearly. We just fell in love with some crazy idea. So that powerful question forces you to be objective. It takes the emotion out of it. And when you can take the emotion out of it, your mind opens almost immediately. Your brain shifts immediately into problem-solving mode and trying to answer the question that's been asked rather than defending your position. And that is really where that inflexibility comes from, is that defensive posture, that defense position of, well, we're not going to do this. I'm going to defend my position. I'm going to try to stay in control of the situation. So when you get your brain answering a different question and get it solving that problem, then you lose that emotion out of it. It's very powerful. So uh, a great question again. Um, And then finally, this brings me to our last piece here, is question yourself. Have the courage to let go of your own ego and desire to control, right? This is um, how fundamentally how to be open-minded and flexible is let go of your desire to control and easier said than done, right, and your own ego. So a question to ask yourself is, Am I being inflexible or am I being flexible in this situation? One of the funny quotes I read is um, Charles Kettering said, people are very open-minded about new things as long as they're exactly like the old ones. (laughs) So you have to stand back and after you go through this process, and it really is kind of a process, um, you, you work on changing your environment. You change your words. Um, in the moment, and, and just practice changing your words, you listen and you question yourself. After you go through all that, question yourself and really be honest and ask, am I being flexible or inflexible in this situation? And often we believe that our way is a better way or it's the only way there is. So you may be thinking after going through all this, well, Okay, this is great advice, Andrea, but I am flexible and I am open-minded. So one of the things that, one of the exercises that I wanted to suggest everybody do is to um, look over everything that you do on a daily or weekly basis in your work. And specifically, um, if someone were to recommend that you change it, if you change how you did that or what it was that you were doing, would you be open to that? And if not, why not? And it's an interesting exercise to get you thinking about how flexible you are on the things that you do on a daily basis um, or inflexible, and you can ask those questions um, of really anything, any any particular project that you're working on, uh, any particular element of the project. So, for example, if you're working on something and you've just designed a logo or a tagline, if someone were to recommend you change it, would you be open to that? And if not, why not? And it's, again, a great interesting way to force your brain into answering a question, get getting objective, get the emotion out of it, but asking your brain to be open to answering that question. So just to wrap up, Michelle, uh, the 
kind of the key four prong action steps to being flexible and not breaking. Change your environment, change your words, listen, question yourself, have the courage to answer those questions, and then do the bonus exercise. Uh, Do a little analysis. See where you are in your current projects, in your current activities, and how flexible or inflexible you may be. So I've got to ask you, Andrea, how much of this surface for you because you're making a move. <laughs> Maybe that is why I came up with this as a general topic. I I um maybe it is. The move is huge and we have done this once before. We did this in 2010. We left the uh Pacific Northwest drove through that's why i was telling you we we were messaging on facebook and i told michelle that um oh i have done the texas drive i have driven through the state of texas actually many times (laughs) and um it really does have a complete reset it's interesting what happens to you just to get out of your normal routines um and what you learn about routine actually you you realize how valuable routine can be you know, having that structure, because I found that when we've done this in the past, I miss some of that structure. Um, but it allows you that new ways of thinking and learning and doing things and really kind of forcing an open mind. So, yes, our little sabbatical, working sabbatical is is probably bringing things up. But I will tell you that this scenario with the book covers really opened my eyes to how there are some things and probably other things in my business over the years. Well, I know, I just know that I have held on to, like with probably my last dying breath, you know, kind of this, no one is taking this from me (laughs) (laughs) over my dead body. Um, That kind of thinking um, it's just I don't know what it is about me, the stubborn um, way, because I like to think of myself as a flexible person in many ways I am, but in some instances I'm definitely not, so it's a, a work in progress, and I thought people could benefit from using me as a guinea pig. Certainly. I mean, the examples you gave were just fantastic today, and I'm totally with you on the the, the kind of things that surface for you when you're going through a move, you do have a, a great appreciation for routine. At the same time, you get an opportunity to create new ones to support you in all of the changes you're going through and then the life and the, you know, whether it's your business or just your life that you're trying to create. So I'm going to hold my hand up and say, I'm still having a tad of a problem getting into the whole groove of having like a regular sleep cycle because my body is literally still adjusting to a new environment. And so, yeah, it gets gets kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's funny. You can develop those kind of habits, and um, Richard – has as well. Uh, in fact, for the last two and a half years, he, um, being that this writing project that we've done, um, he did the principal writing on it, and his uh, kind of pattern routine was um, 
to get up at like two, three o'clock in the morning, work till like eight or nine and then take a nap and then get up, you know, midday and, and continue on with his day. It is interesting how um, your body, whether it's because of a particular project or just the environment, um, anytime it changes, you you do adopt these routines, and then shifting out of those sometimes can be can be challenging um, because you it, it's again it's trying to be um, trying to gain your flexibility back and and put yourself back in something that you know, is is a little bit, I guess, more normal, um, that can be challenging. Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, we, we realize how our bodies can be really adaptable, but the thing that I think sometimes we tend to forget is that whether it's a personal move or a business move or, or even stop and think about rebranding or coming up with a new book cover is still a move, you're the need to recalibrate yourself depending on the stage and the enormity or the smallness of the mood move is is mm-hmm. what I think more people are having an opportunity to explore. It's like how are you going to recalibrate yourself? You know, because some people will say to me, they'll go, Well, I don't really want all these changes that are happening and mm-hmm. I'm like, Well, so here's my suggestion though. You might want to you might want to make a different statement or ask different questions. What could be good about all these changes that are happening and then just be quiet and and pay attention to the different kind of messages that'll come to you because they come to everybody really differently. Some people will literally get mental, you know, like writing in their head and other people will get things that They'll hear conversations, and it's almost like certain words are accentuated, and they hear their message that way. Some other people get it when they're reading something, and something just kind of pops out at them. And so I encourage listeners, learn how to use questions during some of these shifts of learning how to be flexible with yourself so that you're coming from a place of curiosity because then you're not, as we just learned from Mary Lamia, not allowing your past emotional history to trigger and and put it and distract you from paying attention to the message your emotions are trying to give you today. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, and I think that's been a fundamental underlying theme of Breakthrough Radio for the years that I've been on, which is always those asking those questions. And that's why I do like to come up with some new question or something to ask, no matter what little nuance of mindset I'm discussing. You know, it's there's always some kind of question to ask, and that's why I um, kind of glommed on to the, the question that I, I said I, I thought was really powerful for everyone which is would would you give the same advice to someone else who wanted to do you know what you're doing and um in that moment it just allows you to be objective and it turns i I think it just it forces you to be more open-minded um because it's uh it's so different when when you have to live with the advice versus you know um, sometimes we sometimes I think we tend to be even more protective of other people or almost um, use our best judgment for other people. Like for us, it's kind of like yeah, well we're you know um, 
we want to do this or we want to try this, you know, this person, no, I would never, I would never let them do this. I would tell them to take the, the smart conservative route, you know? Um, so, but you were right about the questions. I think the questions is a always powerful. And we have done that on breakthrough radio really throughout is figuring out interesting things to ask yourself so that you can get the answers. That's because that's really what it's all about. It is. It is. I I love how you come up with. I I don't even um make suggestions anymore. I just always sit back and wait and go. Well, I wonder what Andrea is going to teach us next month. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, oh, next and next month I will be on an adventure. Right. Yeah, right. Definitely will. <laughs> I know. I know. God only knows what I'll come up with for the next show. I've got some ideas, but we'll see. <laughs> well, thank you, Andrew. I really appreciate it. Look forward to it. Much uh, have have some fun with this move. <laughs> oh, we will. Beats being in resistance to it. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. Talk about flexibility. When, when you're when you and your husband are are um, packing, you definitely have to have an open and mind and flexible. Uh, you can just imagine some of the discussions about what's being kept and what's being given away. <laughs> Well, we look forward to talking to you in July. Thanks a lot. Thank you. So real quick so that you know, because I didn't mention it earlier, for those of you who've heard me talk about Startup Grind, if you happen to be in Houston, we always meet on the second Wednesday of the month, and this next month we're going to be talking and exploring the Green Rush economy and what does that look like for supporting businesses as well as where can you build your business in the cannabis industry if it hasn't been legalized in your state yet. So make sure you go check out what's happening in the grind in your city because we're in 250 cities now. We're in 100 countries, and that gives you an opportunity to connect with a group of really enthusiastic entrepreneurs and mentors and investors and who are looking to create profitable businesses and affect positive change for their world. So go check out what's happening in the grind in your city. And, of course, if you're in Houston, we want you to come visit with us. Now, because your feedback is so important to every one of us here on Breakthrough Radio, our intention has always been to bring you guests each week that expand your knowledge as well as inspire your actions to grow your business. So to accomplish that, it benefits all of us to hear what you've liked, what you didn't like, which topics you're enjoying, which ones you want to learn more about, who you've really liked we've had on, who you want us to have back, who we haven't had on yet that you want us to invite. Email us those requests to the breakthrough specialist at gmail.com. Again, that's the breakthrough specialist at gmail.com. And thank you for visiting and checking out additional episodes of Breakthrough Radio at www.thebreakthroughradio.com. Remember, our brain download question was designed to be fun as well as important. The intention is to remind you to ask yourself. How am I making my choices and my decisions? Well, you know, this is Michelle Pricer with Breakthrough Radio, delivering you the best business minds each Monday live. I'm coming to you from the third coast of Houston, Texas, where we work with you a business down the street or around the world, telling your dynamic story, attracting your ideal customers. Talk with you next Monday. <laughs>